0: I was reading this headline and I was talking about how the Academy has a crisis management team. Oh, yeah. So like the whole Will Smith thing doesn't happen again. Right. But in the back of my head, I'm already thinking like they are going to overreact to something so benign and they're going to even look more out of touch. Because they're trying to manage the whole thing. It's such a bad strategy to go with. They should have condemned Will Smith in the first place. Yes. Charge him with assault because that was what it was. (laughs) Yeah. And just be like, okay, we're sorry. It's never going to happen again. Let's move on. This is such an overreaction and such a a virtue signaling thing to do that I just think it's going to backfire and blow up in their face.
1: Yeah, it is laughable. I mean, it like what what does crisis team mean? Like a bunch of commandos with guns I hang, know. hanging out on the wings or whatever, like
0: Or just like where do you draw the line? Like are you going to hunt after people who make a bad joke or tweet something inappropriate or like if James Franco hosts a show and he's high as a kite, are you going to kick him off as part of your crisis management? Yeah. Method? yeah. Like he's obviously not going to ever host again, but something like that where someone just goes off script a little bit. What are you going to do? What if someone like John Travolta goes up and butchers a name again? You know, <laughs> what happens if you have a warm beady and he's has one of those like old people moments? Yeah. What are you going to do? How are you going to account for all of that? It's so nebulous and so inexact. It's it's hard to even enforce something like that. Yeah. They, they really overreacted on this. And the...
1: Yeah, I I was reading an article actually about the, the the one of the more infamous moments from the telecast in the past 50 years, which was the streaker back in 1974. I don't know if you <laughs> I
0: don't remember that. Th- at there all.
1: was a guy who just decided it was un- unrelated to anything other than he wanted to cause a bit of a scene and he had an opportunity and he he made his way backstage, took off all his clothes and streaked across the the stage when they were presenting one of the major awards. Good for him. But yeah, like it's, it's the, the, one of the biggest, most watched shows or was back in the day. Um, so there's going to be all this extra attention on making sure it goes right, but it's almost funnier when it goes wrong. I think they should just embrace it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I think they always try to lampoon themselves, but it's always hard because it's always something within their own circle lampooning them, and nothing ever really comes of it. And it's it's always... It always still feels like they're out of touch anyway. Yeah. That they're lampooning themselves because we as an audience kind of demand it and not because they're actually convinced that any of the jokes they make about themselves are, you know, true. I think you should class it up, but keep it short. And enough with all the fluff and everything. You should have certain performances like the best song, maybe best soundtrack or... You know all that kind of stuff and then just really rattle off the awards as fast as be as fast as you can broadcast all of them by don't by any means like do them backstage like they started doing Ugh. yeah which is the worst but just you know keep a good pace yeah that's it i think we solved the oscars yeah
1: all right i'll, I'll take my uh, consultancy check right now please <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> do you want to get started <laughs> okay
0: Welcome to the Extra Buttery Podcast. It's a show about movies, TV, anything with a story and actors on a screen, really. Join Jason Chan and Robert Snow's free flowing conversation with deep dives into characters and plot with the occasional salty opinion. So get your popcorn. I got mine right here. Let's start the show! Welcome to the 116th episode of the Extra Buttery Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Chen in Vancouver. Joining me is my co-host, Robert Snow in Toronto. Hello, hello. And today we're going to talk Ant-Man, HBO's Last of Us, and also wrap up 2022 with some of our top 10 films, including a bonus worst film of 2022, which I'm sure... I feel like we're going to land on the same one, but let's just start with Ant-Man first. Yeah, um...
1: I mean, I, I was, I went into Ant-Man kind of like, a, on the tail end of having seen Thor Love and Thunder and Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I can't say I was that excited for this. I mean, yeah, I'm in the, the, same the trailer boat. was fine. It, it, it was, it's definitely leaning into a certain amount of like the cosmic type of stuff that, uh, that I've liked from the, say the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise.
0: It's a secret universe beneath ours. He's so afraid of there's something I never told you
1: but even after you know watching my way through the trailer I didn't have a special desire to go and see it so it felt like a little mm-hmm. bit more of like like homework basically <laughs> going
0: to see it yeah for sure yeah. It's, it was a chore um
1: I don't so uh, well let, let's do the let's do a, a quick Plot synopsis for for those of okay. uh, those out there who are not super familiar. Maybe you're the type of person who only catches like the odd Marvel movie instead of religiously going to every single one. So Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania takes place. Uh, it's the fr- is it the first film of phase five, as they're calling it. Um, it's supposed to kick off what's going to be a overarching uh, story for the next number of feature films involving the villain Kang, played by Jonathan Majors. And for some reason, they've chosen Ant-Man as the the hero to usher in this, yeah. uh, this story arc. But Ant-Man is pulled down into the much-feared quantum realm, which he spends an awful lot of time in, considering that it's supposed to be an area that you're never supposed to go to. But, um, you know, the the canon's a little bit uh, wonky at this point. And so he and... Um, Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne, the whole family, get pulled down into this uh, infinitesimally small sub-universe within our own universe, and they get separated. And Ant-Man and his daughter Cassie are off in one sort of zone of the quantum realm. They're making some new friends. Meanwhile, uh, Hank Pym, Jenna Van Dyne, and their daughter Hope are going off in a different part of the, the quantum realm. They're sort of learning a little bit about what janet got up to when she was trapped in the quantum realm for 30 odd years and getting to know this guy kang who has been ruling over this this realm like a evil dictator for all these years and of course the story does its best to make them merge towards the end the third act they go they lock horns with good old kang and theoretically kick off this new phase of marvel movies It's the same kind of Marvel action that you've come to expect. You're going to have a big showdown. You're going to have some uh, lore building moments. There's going to be a few comic relief characters sprinkled in there to sort of take the tension out uh, here and there. But yeah, nothing you haven't seen before. Just how bored were you with this movie? I guess is the question (laughs) to ask.
0: Bored enough that I actually fell asleep. Mm. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I fell asleep somewhere between Bill Murray showing up and them escaping. Wow. Because that was just a huge exposition dump. And although it was directed by Peyton Reed, it was missing a lot of the Peyton Reed energy that we liked in the first couple films. Yeah. I think there were a couple things missing. I thought um, the Peyton Reed stuff got a little old. I didn't think it was as funny and clever as it was. I really missed Michael Peña and his sidekicks. They just disappeared. I thought they added a lot to the other two movies and they were missing here. Big time. Um, I think the Wasp is a totally boring character.
1: Oh, yeah. We should should talk a little bit more about that in detail in a
0: moment. Okay. And I think Cassie is a terrifically boring character as well. (laughs) Um, I think they didn't give Paul Rudd a whole lot to work with. I think the villain was completely boring and inconsequential mm-hmm. and I hate the whole trend of having this big CGI mashup of people storming a, a bridge or a palace and, and just knocking heads with a wide array of enemies that also don't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. and en- en- Enemies that, that all
1: kind of blend together because they're all just like clones of each other. Yeah,
0: exactly. And... I mean you're onto something like I don't know why Kang is Ushered makes his big appearance in this film maybe just because it's the first one of phase 5 but I feel like part of the pull of me going to this movie was going to see Kang and I was really disappointed I thought he had a much bigger presence even with a shorter screen time in Loki the show
1: Yeah yeah
0: I agree with that like
1: he was he the version of him that we saw at the the end of Loki was um, considerably more menacing, partially because we didn't know too much about him, but yeah. I think he just, his stuff was better written. Here he's yeah. he's your average um, two-dimensional Marvel uh, villain who does some monologuing and has a plan to conquer the world, and, you know, at least the version at the, at the end of Loki was he was different in the sense that he didn't really care, you know, mm-hmm. He that there was something kind of haunting about a guy who was goading the heroes into killing him because yeah. it was as if like, as he said, like that was the choice, you know, you can deal with me or you can deal with many infinite versions of myself that are so much worse than I am. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: um, you kind of hit it on the head. It's about consequence. I don't know what happens in this movie of consequence. Mm, yep. Yeah. Uh, until after the post-credit scenes, wh- what? why should we care about what happened in this movie? What do we learn that we didn't know already? Nothing. Mm. Yeah, we know that Kang is bad, but we also know
1: that there are so many versions of him um, that it doesn't yeah. really... That's the key yeah. part, right? It doesn't matter how many of them are defeated because there's always more to come. And I think maybe the... like. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that the key problem or the key thing to fear about Thanos was that he was very powerful on his own and you know you, uh, every version of him was well, well you only had to deal with one version at a time which was kind of and also
0: and also he managed to beat up a lot of the Avengers prior to getting defeated yep so we haven't seen Kang do that yet yeah he's been defeated by Ant-Man who is one of the most comical Avengers out there like he's Ant-Man is just not threatening at all, especially if you're a supervillain. He should have squashed him like an ant, literally. Yeah. It, it just seems like a lot of these uh, plot things that happen in this movie just happen out of convenience. You know, there's, okay, Cassie has powers. Great. She's going to join the team and probably kick off this new Avengers team as well. Oh, he's in trouble! I guess Michael Douglas and his ants come to the rescue in the nick of time, and somehow the ants are more powerful than before. Yep, yeah. Oh, he's in trouble! Oh, look, the wasp is here, is to you know help him along.
1: Yeah, and they, you know, there's a lot of like resetting of stakes. You know, they say that uh, towards the end, you know, the the big tension is like there's this portal to help them go uh, get out of the quantum realm and go home, and there's a lot of emphasis placed on like we have to get to this portal before it closes it's becoming unstable and so they uh, almost all of the team hops through the portal and then Ant-Man realizes he has to stay behind to hold off Kang and to defeat him so it's supposed to feel like a sacrificial moment but then yeah. when you know the, the timing on that portal closing uh, is sort of futzed with so that the wasp can zip back and save his ass and then, uh, and then the portal is just allowed to reopen by Cassie you know they're not trapped down there anymore so
0: also the quantum realm isn't very well defined no there's no specific look to it yeah it feels like a magic school bus cartoon to be honest <laughs> yeah <laughs> um the aliens don't make sense can some of them are humanoid and some of them are blobs yeah um, i will
1: say the blob guy was my favorite like a guy nah, who, still
0: not as good as Michael Pena. No, no, David definitely Dasma- not. Dasmalkian I mean, he's
1: actually mind, mind. he's voiced by David Dalsmashian in a little bit of a cameo. But the in the absence of uh, Ant Man's former heist crew, we desperately needed someone like one of those guys in there to leaven things a little bit. And so the goo guy is he. I I laughed the most in the movie at him because he he was throwing out these non sequitur jokes, and he just seemed like a you know. He was a one-off character who's probably not going to go anywhere, but he sort of reminded me of Korg from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, a
0: little bit. I think that was probably the idea. Um,
1: But somebody made a a very interesting point, though, um, a couple of days after the movie was released. They pointed out that a lot of Rick and Morty writers have actually been writing for Marvel in recent years.
0: Okay, so that makes a lot of sense.
1: So you can really, like, the more you think about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the more you see the influence of Rick and Morty, the kind of, like just sort of random stuff happens because it's goofy and silly and there's no real grounding there's no stakes um, and there's always an infinite version of other iterations of the character that can be dropped in at any moment so you know nothing really has any weight and it's a bit of a a bit of a short uh, or a it's a critical weakness in, in the way they're telling these stories right now
0: yeah so you kind of hit it on the edge the, the critical weight. So this like weird golden ball that is so important to Kang and is somehow unusable because it's not the right size didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, okay, so you want him to stop using it so you turn it into 100 times the size? Uh, Wouldn't it make yeah. it more powerful? I, I don't understand. And if you shrink it down, somehow you can't use it or something like that. I have no idea what's going on in the Quantum Realm. And at that point, I just didn't really care. You, you could have set in space, And it would have made no difference.
1: Yeah. And they tried to, um, they tried to kind of reference some of the fun that they'd had in the first two movies in that sequence where Ant-Man goes to save the golden ball thing. Um, and they have like, you know, infinite clones of him that are all sort of teaming up to help get him Mm -hmm. there. Um, but none of that was nearly as fun or interesting as some of the visual gags that they had in the first two, like the Thomas the Tank yep. engine that gets supersized and goes smashing out of the front of the house, you know, things like that. Um so yeah, on a visual inventiveness front, it was like they were throwing everything at the wall instead of coming up with very specific yeah, gags. Yeah.
0: Can we go into the characters then? Yeah. Okay. So Hope Van Dyne, awful, awful character, does has no real arc. To me, Um no. I don't think Evangeline Lilly has a lot of chemistry with Paul Rudd.
1: No. And can we just point out because the this is we're 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 recording this in the wake of a little interview that she gave talking about her experience on the set. Um, of course, they they recorded or they they shot this movie during COVID or post COVID, post the outbreak of COVID. Um, yeah. Evangeline Lilly is a noted anti-vaxxer. Um, And she she gave this sort of plummy sounding interview to Variety or Hollywood Reporter, whichever one, uh, talking about how, oh, you know, people shouldn't worry that she was given a hard time on the set for her anti-vax views. You know, she had multiple reassurances from Peyton Reed and Disney executives and all these different people saying, oh, you know, we're not going to get involved in your politics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking. Yeah, I think they did get involved in your politics because, lady, you got cut out of that movie like crazy that like for a character whose name is the second build in the very title, we barely see her. And I, I have to believe that they were doing some very selective edits to her in post to trim down her role because they don't want to be involved with any kind of anti-vax stuff that she's been spearing. Interesting. I didn't—, I didn't re- That's a theory. But I, I'm just thinking, like, you know, you're not going to cut her out because obviously that would be the really dramatic thing to do. You're not going to, like, fire her because then everyone would get up in arms about it the way that they fired other people in the past. But the, the thing that you do instead is to just minimize her role in post, cut her out of certain sequences,
0: just sort of, you know,
1: zip her down a little bit.
0: I do remember thinking it was weird that she, the Wasp shared the main sort of title with Ant-Man because they're not equal characters. Um, so that was always interesting to me. I do remember Evangeline Lilly being like really excited to do the whole, like, I think it was Endgame where you had all the female superheroes, like to have with this hero shot i remember her specifically being like wow this is so cool and me sure. kind of going like this is so cringe <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> a lot of people shared that view it felt it felt a little on the nose
0: i thought she was okay in the second one like she was clearly the stronger avenger she was she had taken this role seriously Not like Ant-Man. Ant-Man's kind of like a happy-go-lucky, you know, I'm just going to take care of my family, and if I can help, I'll help. But if not, I'm just happy doing card tricks. And so I don't think it bothered me that much that Wasp didn't have a smaller role. I kind of didn't notice it, really. Um, Maybe because I just didn't care for her character. Yeah, I mean... it's it's something where,
1: you know, they can cut her down and you don't really notice. And so the question mm-hmm. is, like, what are we missing? I mean... Exactly. Would, w-
0: and and the fact that she's made out to be this person who, like, saved the world through science and, and whatnot was just laughable. It's kind of like when I see uh, Letitia Wright in Black Panther. Mm. And she's, like, trying to cure the disease. But I'm like, you don't believe in science, though. <laughs> like, how yeah, does this work? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to separate. And then, I mean... R- I'm sure they have good reasons for this, but Evangeline's Lily's haircut in this really reminds me of a Karen haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it was a little hard to take her seriously, but anyway, um, but I thought she was unnecessary. she She just didn't add any humor or or action into this film. And I thought for the most part, Cassie was the more important female character. But yeah. even then, she seemed a little too fully formed. We, I didn't see her go through this arc. She kind of feels like a rebellious teenager that could do no wrong. Um, in my opinion, if we were going to, you know, introduce a new character and somehow see her going through like the trials and tribulations of being superhero, I thought Haley Steinfeld's Hawkeye did a much better job.
1: Oh, okay. I mean I, I didn't I didn't watch the Hawkeye show, so I don't I don't oh, have okay. the context. Okay. But- um, but yeah, they they were they had an idea for what Cassie should be to the this movie, and you know, tying her in with like homeless encampments was clearly you know a hot button issue that you know was supposed yeah, to yeah supposed weird. to resonate with her, people, but uh yeah, yeah
0: they they don't her being tossed in jail like was already just kind of hard to believe like I mean you'd think. Even if she was estranged from her dad, which she, it didn't feel like she was, at least one of the parents or grandparents, I mean, the other parent would have found out or one of the Avengers could have, you know, would have known about it well beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, That was another thing, too, for for a movie that ushered in Kang, there was a lack of other Avengers. Not that I really expected any of them to, like, appear and help Ant-Man in the final battle, but, I mean, no cameos from anybody? It seemed a little odd.
1: Yeah, if the idea is to kind of pull everything towards a big showdown with Kang um, in however many years, like, uh, three or four years... We're not really getting kind of what we saw in the first few phases of these movies, where you do get those cameos and you get the sense of like things feeding into a larger story. Because yeah, no,
0: no idea where everyone else is at this point yeah, in time. Me neither. I w- I will say though, I did enjoy Jonathan Majors. Um, I didn't think he had a lot to work with, but you could tell he was he was chewing up the scenery, and by extension, Michelle Pfeiffer, who I personally really like, and I thought she was really good, even though she had almost nothing to do other than you know do a lot of exposition um she didn't have to fight michael douglas sat in a chair the entire time flying a ship i mean <laughs> it wasn't very interesting either yeah just,
1: he had those hands in the big like jelly things and he would just you know yeah crack wise, exactly so.
0: and it just didn't seem very interesting until he shows up at the end like a does ex machina like with the ants and that was it so this was i think one of the worst and most boring Marvel movies I've seen. And maybe that's part of the superhero fatigue I'm going through, but I think a lot of it's self-inflicted. I, I don't think it had a very unified vision. I don't think it was very funny or interesting. Um, it was very bland, to be honest. And and you could tell that from the trailer because it was so CGI heavy. Yeah. And I think the the next movie that Marvel's counting on to really bring it back from the, the quote-unquote dead would be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Because I think that has much more broad appeal and um, it we already know the beats and the characters are far more interesting.
1: Yeah, so I, I am curious to see what they do with that. I mean, uh, I'm trying to decide if I like this better or worse than Thor Love and Thunder. Um, because Thor Love and Thunder had characters that I like better, but it uh, was more annoying in some ways. Like some of the, the, the jokes and the the, um, the scenes were
0: not nearly as fulfilling. Yeah. So I, it's definitely on the similar level. Yeah. I, I think I give love and thunder the edge though. Cause I think Thor is a funny character in Ant-Man, at least in this, these two movies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the, uh, the, all of the marketing for guardians of the galaxy volume three suggests that it's going to take a darker tone, which I don't know is a good idea. I mean, they're trying to usher these characters out and let the actors move on with their lives. Um, specifically Dave Bautista, who doesn't sound like he's all that keen to play Drax for the rest of his career.
0: It's kind of interesting you mention that because he's aged quite a bit, eh? You could tell even when he's covered in makeup. Him and Karen Gillan, they look a little different in Volume 3. Yeah. I don't know if it's the makeup or just the the feeling they give off is a little different. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, obviously you can't expect them to keep doing it forever, and they've already shot... You know, not just the Guardians standalone movies, but also all the Avengers stuff, and you know that Christmas special for Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So they should be allowed to move on. But uh, I, I'm not sure that going out with it on a sad note is necessarily the. It won't be sad.
0: It'll be bittersweet. I think bittersweet works. I, I think this is a team that was that always felt like it was doomed to fail because they're not supposed to be particularly good at what they do. They just kind of make stuff go up as they go along and, and it just kind of works out for them but changing over to something that I think both of us we
1: will we'll, we'll probably end up agreeing uh, on this one in the opposite direction um, <laughs> yeah HBO's The Last of Us if you don't think there's hope for the world why bother going
0: on you haven't seen the world so you don't know <sighs> Keep going for family. I'm not family. No.
1: you cargo. Were you much of... Did you play either of the games when they were new? Uh,
0: I played the first one. Not when they were new. Like, I played it a little after everyone else. But I played the first one. I didn't play the second one.
1: So I'm in the the group of people who have uh, not played either game. So oh, okay. I was okay. coming in... Uh, other Other than knowing the rough, like, style of gameplay and the topic, I didn't know anything else about the characters. Um, and I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there enjoying this show who are like me. Um, but how closely did you were you watching the development of this game, like, uh, or this the show by HBO? Were you um, like anticipating it, or were you just going to check it out when it came when it came out just to see?
0: I was very curious, and to be honest, I wasn't that surprised when it got good reviews. I think it's like the only video game IP that has gotten reviews this good, like ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Pedro Pascal is knocking it out of the park ever since Game of Thrones. He's just everything he's done, he's been great. Yeah, agreed. Doesn't matter how big the role, including Mandalorian, he's just so good. Um, there were certain things that caught me a little off guard. Um, namely Ellie. Ellie in the game is I think has a little different feel, not to mention the actresses that who portrayed the Ellie in the game and the actress in the movie or the show are very different. Mm. Certain beats are the same, I appreciated that. Um, But it also just, more importantly, dispels the notion that you can't make a good TV show or a good movie out of a video game. I think you really just have to know what you're doing. Um, I really enjoy the show so far. I haven't caught up to everything yet. Um, I would say it's a very solid show. A lot of people are already saying like, oh, this is the best show ever, it's one of HBO's best. I'm not there yet. I'm really not there yet. I think the, the the bar is set so high. I think there are times in the show where it still kind of drags for me a little bit, especially in the the beginning setup. Um, and I think maybe it'll change when they, you know, when I watch all the new episodes um but they really have something here it's it's a really solid show yeah yeah like from what i
1: remember reading you know before the show premiered the the last of us game series was always considered one of the more cinematic types of games you know it had it had extensive story that actually mattered to your gameplay and um, kind of like uncharted in that way. Although we saw what happens when, you know, just because you have like a really cinematic, um, type of game does not necessarily yeah. mean that it can be adapted. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, there's a still a fine line to be walked. And yeah, I think the, they, they brought in the director of the games to executive produce here. So that they had a very tight partnership between him and Craig Mason, who, uh, was the showrunner on Ch- Chernobyl. Um, so you have you have a lot of talent in the room to start with and i think they from what i can tell in some of the 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 articles i've read about the production process they thought very uh, smartly about the way people play video games versus the way people watch movies and tv you know they they kind of acknowledge that the active role that you have in a video game is different from the passive role that you have when you're watching something uh like you know screen entertainment and you have to change the script. You have mm-hmm. to make certain choices to keep, you know, fans of a game interested in the ad, the screen adaptation so that they, they're not missing that kind of sense of like, they're making the choices, I think so that there's probably a lot of really interesting scripting stuff going on below the surface there. Um, and it's just like, there's been a lot of pandemic related content naturally on TV lately. Um, I just finished watching uh, last year uh, Station Eleven, which was an original um, thing on HBO that was also to do with like a global pandemic that kind of like the one in this incredibly deadly. Wiped out most of the population. Thankfully, yeah. we are not getting that <laughs> in our real life. But, you know, the the touch points are similar. You know, the the there's a sense of dread and a, like when things really start to kick off, you know, you kind of get a an extra little boost of emotion where you're thinking back to like, oh, where was I in March 2020 when things started to, to go really sideways with COVID like. You know, there, you, get, you, you get kind of, like, extra involved. There's a little, like, shortcut there. I
0: would say yeah. that if you go back and watch any movie about post-apocalyptic Earth where people were wiped out by a disease, it hits differently. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, like, it hits almost a little too real, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. you think about 28 Days Later, 12 Monkeys, any of those movies, and you're just like, oh, God, this is so depressing because, I mean, we weren't. We weren't close, but it just seems more plausible than ever. yeah.
1: so when they have that scene, I think it's um I think it's the beginning of episode two where there it's a flashback to when the the fungus emerges in Jakarta and oh yes okay the the expert says the expert is asked by the the military of officer like, um what do we do here?" And she's like, bomb the entire city.
0: Yeah, that, like, that hits differently. Yeah, eh?
1: and you're like, whoa, okay, we're dealing with next level stuff here. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, That scene was, I think, one of the best scenes in the show so far. A lot of people really liked the, the, um, the episode, the standalone episode with the gay couple. Yeah, Bill and Frank. Bill and Frank. What did you think of that episode as a whole? I really liked it. I mean, I... You know,
1: they some people kind of erroneously described it as a bottle episode, but it's not. It's it's just a flashback. Um, I thought it was really effective because it it gives us a break from the very uh, action oriented end of episode two, where, um, uh, you know, the uh, Joel and Ellie are first sort of set off to travel on their own. And we pick up with them at the beginning of episode three, the Bill and Frank episode, just to kind of like connect those two episodes together and then we get this extended flashback and it's just meant to act as a um, kind of the, the entirety of the pandemic, the the fungus outbreak it, like a microcosm of it, like how it affected two characters over a long span of time. Um, and, you know, trying, trying to also find a sense of hope and like love in the midst of a really horrible situation and proving that, and probably you know it reflects on Joel and Ellie in a way too because it shows that relationships can still be forged. People don't have to lose their humanity despite everything that's going on. Um, so I think it's it's you know narratively, character wise, it it is significant. I do know that you know you have your usual people who complained about it on on the internet, but they're probably Shocking. just like you know. Uh, What did you think of it? So
0: I actually caught that episode like one or two days after it was released. So like a lot of buzz had already been made about it. Um, And so I was pretty excited. I went into the episode not knowing what to expect. And I was thoroughly entertained by the storytelling aspect of it. But if that is the pinnacle of The Last of Us, um, it is still very far off from, in my opinion, like the wire, the Chernobyl, Band of Brother, you know, limited series that HBO has produced. Um, it was a little jarring because it wasn't what I had expected, especially with the the gay relationship between the two. Um, and it, does, it did cer- certainly make me think, but I enjoyed it overall. It's just, uh, I was just curious about what you thought of it because it was hailed as like the episode to watch for last last of us even though it didn't really have a whole lot to do with the the main characters yeah
1: i mean i would say that there have
0: been there have
1: definitely been better episodes of tv that i've connected with you know from other shows that i would cons- that i would put higher on the list in terms of like top five tv episodes in my own personal opinion but i can see why people connected emotionally with this one i can yeah. see why it's ranking pretty high for some yeah. people and
0: like the video game is sort of a horror survival game. There's a lot of stealth involved, so I always thought it would be more of a horror thriller series. Um, not so much. It's it's very dramatic. Yeah. Um, not a lot of scary moments for me. I thought Chernobyl was far scarier, um, partly because it was based on real life, but also because it was so much unknown. Yeah. Um, like the danger was around you, but you couldn't see it. And you could only see how it affected people and affected people really, really harshly. Um, Even in the museum scene where, you know, they're creeping around and they're being chased. I was like, well, maybe because I played the game or because I know the main characters, they're going to get out of it. There was just no shock or horror factor uh, around it for me. It was just very well done. So I I think that's the only thing that's maybe held back uh, from me enjoying the series uh, like other people would, I guess. Yeah. And that's
1: a good question too. Like, will they, because so far people have have kind of agreed there's a consensus that it's a very faithful adaptation of the games in terms of like, you know, they've expanded certain areas. They have cut other areas of the games down, but on the whole, people feel that the experience of playing the game is pretty uh, directly modeled in watching the show. So how long do they stretch that out is the question. Like do they pull a game of Thrones where they start to slowly make bigger and bigger choices that diverge from the source material because you know i mean they there is a big decision coming up which i know angered a lot of last of us game fans in the sequel game um which i mean i i have to assume that they're going to make that choice in season two of the show but assuming they continue from from that point on once that big narrative thing is out of the way how many other little changes can they fit in, you know, depending on what they want to do with the show? Do they want to – because there is no third game to adapt. If they decide to do a third season, they, they're they kind of like, you know, they, they have full creative freedom.
0: I like the trend of shows just calling it quits before it's too late. So Succession, which which I love, they just – Recently announced that season five would be the last season. Oh yeah, yeah. A- and same with Barry, which is a funny, funny show. So I like it. I don't think they're gonna stretch this out. I think that'd be a bad idea to do mm. it. Um, I think it just might be a two or three season miniseries, and that's it. Yeah. And a lot of the scenes in this in the show are actually just like video game cutscenes from the from the video game. It's just like shot for shot, very similar. And so, uh, I think it'll work. I'm, I'm not too worried about hmm, yeah. that kind
1: of stuff. And well, you know, if people complain about it, then...
0: <laughs> There's always going to be people complaining about this and that. What did you think about Ellie as a character, though, not having played the game? Did you... The problem with these, like, child actors and whatnot is that they tend to be kind of annoying. Did you find Do... Bella Ramsey annoying in the role? A little bit. A little bit. She seemed a little too... A little too edgy, too hard around the edges. The the Ellie in the game, in my opinion, was a little more softer and sensitive. Oh. And so I thought that was a bit of a departure from the character in the video game. Although like I don't remember much from the video game about Ellie, to be honest. Certainly she gets, you know, like tougher as the game goes on, but right off the bat I thought Bella Ramsey was playing an extension of Mormont from Game of Thrones like <laughs> right. she, she like laid down the hammer right away and I was like uh, maybe you should wait yeah but, I mean that's that's a creative choice and I'm fine with it uh, I know she got a lot of backlash on the internet because she didn't look like the video game character because it was a little different and people were saying about oh how there's the like there's a the bit of like a sexual tension and like the age gap between the two main characters I never got any of that I think that's just a little bit of a reach but a sexual tension between Joel and Ellie yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. There was some internet. I I did read like an article about that. And I was like, that doesn't make much sense to me.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a little weird. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, we will we'll check back in on Last of Us when it's over. I guess there's uh, there's still a few more episodes left to go. Um, so we can uh we can decide you know what's the final take on uh on the show when it finally comes to an end, and talk a little bit about where it's gonna go in in season two um but we have one final thing to talk about in this episode and that is our uh best and one worst of
0: 2020.
1: <laughs> 2022 um we we talked about doing this in the last episode and uh, we wanted to take a little bit of time catch up on a few of the the Oscar nominees for example and uh, try to uh make some choices so here we are top 10 of 2022 uh, we're going to start in in descending order, so we'll start at number ten and work our way down to our number ones, and then uh, fit in a the worst, our w- number one worst of uh, of twenty twenty two at the end. Um, do you want to go first with your number ten pick?
0: Uh, no, I want you to go first.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, let's see here.
0: Well, because mine, have... mine aren't mine aren't really in a specific order. Like after hearing your list, I might flip flop, but I just I have like films <laughs> in like groups and tiers. So, okay. So it, okay. It, it's more like that. It, like even at number ten, I had a I had a pretty harsh debate. But anyway, you go first.
1: All right. Well, my number ten pick uh, was Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Um, so I remember we talked about this, and I liked it more than you did, but uh, I I think that I liked it just enough for it to fit its way onto my top ten. Um, so I'd be surprised if it, if it makes your top 10, but we'll, we'll see. Nevertheless, like, uh, as I said at the time, like, I really enjoy Ryan Johnson's style of storytelling. I like the, the actors that he works with. Um, this movie has its share of flaws. It may not be quite as, uh, as involving as the first one, but I, I just like the misdirections. I like the, the vibe of a kind of Agatha Christie style, Urku type mystery and this one feels like a, a suitable homage to it while, you know, uh, trying to uh, do a few twists and turns that uh, hopefully you don't expect.
0: Um, so yeah, that, that's my number 10. What's yours? So Glass Onion did not make the cut.
1: <laughs> I called it.
0: It was one of the films that I had debated number 10, um, but I, I couldn't get away from Avatar for number 10. Okay. I, I understand its flaws, but as a cinematic experience, it was very well done. And... As much as I don't like some of the characters or the plot, I thought as a cinematic experience, it was probably one of the best I've ever had in my life. Whoa, um,
1: that is high yeah. praise. Just,
0: well, from from like a like a big screen, big sound standpoint. Okay, yeah, and the fact that it didn't feel like three hours, I think that to me is a major accomplishment.
1: All right, yeah. I mean, for me, it did it did feel like three hours. I was I was conscious of the okay. time, so that's why I couldn't I couldn't in all honesty put it in uh, in my top ten, mm-hmm. but. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Number nine. Uh, so for me, it's a little movie that almost no one saw called Confess Fletch <laughs> with John Hamm. Um, again, like a little bit of a murder mystery type uh, format, but this one is way lower budget than Glass Onion. Uh, this thing was sort of dropped onto streaming services and like rental services after some like horrifically short theatrical run and considering that it has John Hamm and a bunch of other fun actors in it you would think that it would have made a bigger dent but I guess that's just the fate of these mid-budget movies for adults these days like if it doesn't get uh, if it doesn't uh, have that right uh, combination of like marketing budget and strategy it just doesn't uh, doesn't push through. And, you know, obviously movies like of this budget size are being dropped on streaming services every single day. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of noise out there. Uh, Mm Um, but this was just uh, really, um, nicely performed, um, cleverly written. It doesn't do anything particularly new with the format, but you know, it executes it very smartly. And, uh, uh, I, d- I definitely recommend it for people who are looking for another little murder mystery that has a
0: you know hints of comedy in there. Oh, interesting. So I really fought this one kind of hard because I I didn't know if it really belonged, but I had Prey at number nine. Oh, all right. Which is the Predator prequel, I guess you yeah. could call it on Disney Plus. I just thought it was very well done. Um, I had no big complaints about it. I don't think it blows anyone away, but there's something to be said about a film that's just well executed. And I think it did that on multiple fronts. So I enjoyed mm-hmm.
1: it. Yeah, I might actually circle back and watch that one because I don't know a whole lot about the Predator universe. I've only seen the first one and, you know, clips of the others. But um, based, on what pe- based on what people were saying about uh, this one,
0: it kind of piqued my interest a little. I, yeah, I think you should give it a chance. I I think it's quite tense. There's one part at the end where I was like, "Uh, I don't know if that would work, but uh, I think as a whole, it was was quite enjoyable for me. So. All right.
1: Number eight. For me, this is actually, you might be surprised by this. And it's a surprise to me, to to be honest, that, that a film by this filmmaker would be anywhere near my top 10, but it's Ambulance.
0: Yes. Um. Yes. (laughs) I was telling my buddy, I watched this movie and he like rolled his eyes so hard. I'm like, dude, it is actually quite enjoyable. Yes. It is Michael Bay at like doing all the things he's good at without any of the, well, not any, but most of the bad shit just like flushed out. Exactly.
1: This is what I want Michael Bay to be. You know, this is a return of the Michael Bay from The Rock and from you know his heyday before he got involved with all of the Transformer stuff and the ogling of women
0: and all of you know all of Okay, so before you go on, can I just interrupt one thing? Yeah. Okay, so based on this and based on his some of his past work, you can tell he completely mails it in for Transformers. Yes. Oh yeah. A hundred percent he mails mails it in, and the whole Megan Fox being sexualized. Uh, I don't think he's the only person who should be found guilty of that. No, In this one, Isaac Gonzalez, if anything, is not sexualized. In fact, I feel like it's the male characters who do. Yeah, yeah. More so. <laughs> but anyway, continue. I, I want to hear what you say about this. Well,
1: I mean, if it, if it were just a question of like, you know, if, if I were to say to somebody, you know, make a recommendation of what parts to watch. If they didn't have time to watch the entire thing, just watch the drone cinematography. That on its Mm. own is totally uh, bleeding edge stuff. Like the way they incorporate Mm -hmm. these fast moving racing drones with cinema cameras mounted to them. Like that is a masterclass on its own. And then you take the, the at like, you know, the typically uh, high octane, very dramatic, very emotional performances that Michael Bay is so good at of getting from people it's just an experience. What can I say? It's, yeah. it's the exact the, the exact thing you want from Michael Bay uh, at this point in his career to kind of reset and put a, a fresh taste in your mouth. And what's your number eight? Uh,
0: okay, so this one's tough, but I have the menu on it. Oh, I, I thought about putting the menu on mine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, I did think it was a predictable film, um, but I love the structure and I love some of the characters in this. Um it is not without its flaws and I do think for me 2022 wasn't that great of a year in terms of movies like they're in tiers so this is sort of like the beginning of another tier but I think Anya Taylor-Joy was fantastic I thought Nicholas Holt was hilarious I wish it w- it was more it had more of a darker vibe um not that it doesn't um but some certainly some of the scenes didn't make as much sense to me it just seems like they were going for a bit of shock value rather than uh, some sort of moral message
1: i think we, we also talked about this in more in depth so if you if you'd like seek out that podcast episode to, to get a, a more in-depth conversation on this yeah they that there is that thing where it makes its point and then it kind of makes yeah. it again and again and it doesn't really it doesn't really f- um expand yeah. on it so you know that's that 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 may yeah. cause some people to lose interest over time, but that's okay.
0: And also the sesame seeds on the cheese. <laughs> <just, no. laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so for my number seven, I have The Northman. Oh, okay. Um, and I I, I just I, I connected pretty well with this one. It had a lot of things in it that I love. It had the kind of sword and sandal thing that we don't see super often these days. Um, it's set in Iceland, which is just a you know, uh, out and out cool place to set a movie and it's got a naked volcano fight <laughs> for the final scene. So, you know, it, it everything in it is turned up and it, it's heavy metal. It's gory. Um, there are certain character moments in it that can leave you a little cold. You know, they don't make mm-hmm. a lot of sense yep. or they feel maybe excessively Shakespearean because, uh, you know, this is supposed to be dramatizing some, some of the source material that became Hamlet. But um, so that may not work for everyone, but uh, yeah, it just felt um, like a labor of love for, on the part of uh, Robert Eggers. And okay. I,
0: I agree with everything you said. I really enjoyed this film as well. It's in my top ten, uh not at number seven though. So Oh, interesting. Yeah, so okay. we'll reveal that later, but I agree. Uh the mythological sort of aspect of this, the whole, you know, honor and warrior mentality and the sort of like vengeance tale always gets me. Mm, yeah. So for but for me at number seven, I have everything everywhere all at once, which I th- oh, I feel right. like is controversial because I have a lot lower than than everyone else. But count me in the minority as someone who felt this film was far too random. <laughs> it felt far too incoherent, and I guess that is a theme of this film. I just didn't connect with it. I didn't connect with the evil bagel. Mm. I didn't connect with Stephanie Sue's character. <laughs> um, I, and I thought it was just. It was just too incoherent for me to fully enjoy it in succession. I think if you break it up into the film into like little scenes or memes, I think it's perfect. But as a whole, I couldn't really get behind it, but it was still very good. So number seven, that's everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm still not budging on my pick that this is going to win Best Picture. Mm, All right. All right.
1: Um, So then for my number six, I'm going with Nope from Jordan Peele. Um, Mm, I I wish I saw yes. Uh, this one, you know, it, it's, it was sold as one thing, but it's definitely a different sort of movie. You know, you might go into it expecting a jump scare horror movie, like some of the ones that Jordan Peele has made to date, but it is very much more of a sci-fi old fashioned Twilight Zone-esque story with maybe like one jump scare in the whole thing. Um, and even then it's not really a jump scare. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those movies that, um, is, you know, a filmmaker reflecting on the motion picture business and, you know, the ways that it can corrupt people and the the broader kind of sense of, like, greed and selfishness that uh, can drive people to make bad decisions. So there's, it's not just about the creature feature, like UFOs descending to Earth type of thrills. There's, there is some, like, thematic weight behind it, uh, which I really like. Are you surprised it got completely shut out? Not really. I mean, you know, it's uh, there's probably people out there who didn't really catch on to the thematic stuff. Maybe they got a little distracted with, the, um, with that creature feature stuff that I mentioned. So it, maybe it just didn't land. I don't know. Um,
0: I cheated a little bit because I have a tie at number six. Oh, all right. So uh, they're both Asian films. One is uh, Broker, uh, the Korean film, and the other is Decision to Leave, which is also... Um, a, a mixed sort of Korean and, and Chinese sort of production. Hard for me to separate the two. I enjoyed both. I think there were flaws in both. I liked them for different reasons. For one, Broker, uh, I love uh, Korea stuff. So uh, this one's a little less dramatic, a little less heavy um, than um, Shoplifters. Right. But, but I, I enjoyed the story in this one because it, it addressed a lot of... Uh, Uh, issues regarding Asian societies that, and I think it was very well done. The cast was always really good. This isn't to leave is some, is a film that I, I had to really think about a lot. It is definitely a thinking piece in my opinion. First of all, the cinematography is incredible. Mm. The second part that really caught me off guard in a good way was the subtitle, the translations. Um, Because you had a Chinese female lead and a Korean male lead, they often had to use Google Translate on their phones to communicate with each other. Oh. And there are certain sayings and idioms and, and, and in, in their respective languages that don't translate that well. But I thought the subtitles bridged the gap really well. It was a really interesting story. Mm, I thought it veered off into a bit of a mysticism um, realm that I didn't appreciate. It never stayed grounded in reality, in my opinion, enough to be a sort of femme fatale... You know, uh, murder mystery that it was marketed to be. And maybe it was never meant to be that way. But there's enough to chew on. There's enough to think about that it kind of stays with you. I I wish the execution was just a little bit better and it would have easily cracked my top three or four. Whoa. Okay. Um, Yeah, both of those were ones that I
1: I missed during festival season last year. And uh, they're on my watch list for sure. Um, So... Now, for my number five, I had it set up one way, but just as we were talking, I did the exact thing that you said you were going to do, and and right. I was starting to flip things around mentally the more I thought about it, so <laughs> you this, uh, this has literally changed <laughs> okay, in okay. real time, but okay. my number five is everything, everywhere, all at once.
0: Oh, um, okay. So did it go – it went down in your list? It went or down. I'm... Yeah, it went down. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, not okay. by much, but it did go down, um, and so, you know – in contrast to what you were saying earlier, where, you know, you didn't really connect with it. You found it a little too random. I think for me, the randomness was part of the appeal. Um, I can I can mm. see why you wouldn't necessarily like it, depending on, you know, what you were looking for from the film or, or for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, I, I appreciated the randomness. I, f- I found it fresher than some of the other stuff that, that came out last year. I appreciated what the Daniels, the, the two directors were able to do with the budget they had. Um, the, the turn that Michelle Yeoh makes as a star in this one, you know, appearing as multiple versions of herself, doing all of this stunt choreography, dramatic stuff, comedic stuff, romantic stuff. It's, uh, it's a real like intense performance. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if it's enough to get her the Oscar this year, but, uh, it's It was one of the more interesting career turns that I'd seen. Um, so for all those reasons, okay. that's why it's at my number okay. five. I think
0: Jonathan K. Kwan is probably going to win Best Supporting Actor though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's definitely front runner. Yeah. So Michelle Yeoh, certainly there's a bit of kung fu in it, but she had always been sort of like a martial artist- um, in our minds and this was more of a dramatic role for her so I think that worked out really great uh, number 5 for me is and I kind of fought this one because I felt like I could have dropped it lower but it is Triangle of Sadness I enjoyed for the mo- most parts of this film uh, the ending caught me a little more wanting but up to that point I thought it was a hilarious critique of of a the upper society that we love to make fun of um, I think it had a really good mix of both witty humor and gross-out humor. Maybe a little too much gross-out humor, in my opinion. Um, but I thought everyone was great. Um, I kind of enjoy these movies where there's not one big star who really steals the the show or or you know has a domineering presence. Certainly, Woody Harrelson has that name recognition. But I thought he was pretty good about just kind of staying in the background and letting the other characters breathe a little bit. Right.
1: And this one for me, like, I would say right now, if uh, if I had to place it somewhere, it would mm. be in my, like, top 15. Yeah, it would probably yeah, be, enough. like, 11, 12, 13, something like that. Um, but for me, it was just the length of it. It went on a little too long. If it had, yep. if they had trimmed out, like, 15 to 20 minutes, I think it probably would have made it into the top 10 for me. Number four. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my number four is Banshees of Inishirin.
0: I have the exact same film at number four, so. Oh, okay, great. We'll just, uh, <laughs> we'll double it up then.
1: Um, so yeah, like Banshees of Inishirin, this was one that I've been looking forward to for a while. You know, I, I always look forward to Martin McDonagh's movies. There's something about the way he writes and directs that I've always found very funny. You know, the, the deadpan quality of, uh, the performances that he gets specifically from people like Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, um, It's just it's very much tuned to my sense of humor and going into this one I expected a certain uh, like I expected maybe something a little bit more um, overall funny the way that say in Bruges or seven psychopaths were same but but in this one the third act definitely makes a big turn towards the melancholy almost towards the tragic and that caught me a little off guard it definitely put a different taste in my mouth as I left the theater, but I think overall, it's still a fantastic film, just um, very much a, a story about a particular time and place and, you know, with lots of thematic weight behind it and
0: really great performances. Yeah. Agreed with everything you said. Um, I, for me, the big selling point was the performances, um, not necessarily um, Brendan Gleason, but definitely Colin Farrell, and uh, Barry Keegan and Carrie Condon, I think they were all fantastic. I enjoy these small films where like the focus is so tight and mm. they don't stray far from it. Certainly, there's a twist at the end that I didn't really see coming. But I think it all it comes all together quite mm. nicely.
1: Um, all right. Well, that brings us to number three, which for me is The Batman. Um, and we were just saying earlier that, uh, you know, it feels like more than a year's passed since the Batman came out, but in fact, it, it hasn't been a year yet. That's, uh, came out in a Mar- oh, while. Yeah. It came out in March 22. So, uh, it's yeah, this, this one was, uh, it really arrived and gave me everything I was hoping for. You know, I, it's rare, it's rare that like a big blockbuster these days can, can still do that for me. Um, But this one, something about the combination of Matt Reeves, the tone he's going for, the execution of a version of Gotham that is even darker and more um, glowering and full of, um, you know, sin than uh, what we saw in the Chris Nolan movies. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it hit all the right notes
0: for me. It really felt like its own distinct thing. Yeah, agreed. I I always give bonus points to movies that live up to expectations because I think that's half the battle. It's kind of like Ant-Man. It, it was worse in, for me because I had some expectations going in and it just didn't meet any of them. And But then when you have a movie that has so much hype and it delivers, that's a really job well done because that's really difficult to do. Yeah,
1: especially something like this where you have a new person taking on the role, someone that... You know, broadly speaking, huge tranches of the fan base were kind of set against because of uh, the associate, you know, the associations that people have with Robert Pattinson's previous career, Um, you know, and and yet he still, you know, he makes it his own and builds out a uh, universe that they can do more stories in and not feel burdened by connecting it up with, you know, whatever they're choosing to do with uh,
0: the James Gunn dc universe you know so i kind of hinted at at it before but my my number three is the northman all right um for the exact same reasons you said about all like the the hamlet inspired tale or tale that inspired hamlet i should say (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) um the whole the violence is a bit much but i understood that it, it had to be that way for this story to work it had to have the violence. It had to have the body horror because you were dealing with magic and mythology and and all sorts of different legends and whatnot. This was a brutal time in human human civilization, and therefore it needed to be brutal in its depiction. So I understood it.
1: Um, no, I'm I, and now like what is what is it that Robert Eggers is working on next? Is he? It's a Nosferatu uh, adaptation, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's gonna be wild so, I mean, too. I can't. Yeah.
1: wait. he's he's had a great career so far. I can't wait. Can't wait yeah. to see where it goes next.
0: Can I jump to number two? Because you kind of already mentioned. uh, My number two is the Batman. Oh, all right. (laughs) So I agree with everything you said. And like I said, if it delivers, it's great. Uh, Pattinson really surprised me at Batman. I do think his performance as Batman was really strong because you could see the conflict within him. When we see the other Batman in all the other films, he is convicted in being Batman already certainly he has his doubts certainly he has a point where he reaches his limits and he's tired but this is a Robert Pattinson Batman that is still fighting a lot with himself and you could see it in his eyes and his performance my only gripe is that it's a tad long on rewatch you really have to be in the mood for it but I liked everything he did I love Matt Reeves' storytelling style I can't wait to see what happens next um, I do think there was maybe one Joker cameo too many.
1: Mm, yeah, <laughs> but that's such a
0: minor gripe. But I just thought I'd jump ahead number two because you already mentioned it. So
1: no, that's fair. Uh, well, uh, my number two is RRR. Um, ah, right. I there's been very few moments last year mo- movies that came out where I was just you know so over the moon about the movie that I just couldn't help but talk about it with whoever. I I saw uh, mm-hmm. recommending it to people who, you know, I know to be like not particularly huge movie buffs, but I I kept saying, you know, this this is the kind of movie that you just have to go out and see, you have to make the time for, even if you, you know, you considering that it is 3 hours long, even if it means splitting it up into two viewing sessions or three viewing sessions, treating it like a TV show almost, it's worth it because it you haven't seen anything like it. And you know, you've got this 1920s uh, colonial tale with these two guys who are just the best friends ever. Um, they, you know, all of the emotions in this are turned up incredibly high. Everything has incredible stakes and weight to it. And the the scale of everything is unlike anything that you would see in most movies last year. Um, and, then, and yet it's all still buoyed up by these sorts of action moments and comedic moments that feel like Feel drawn from Japanese anime, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like a bit, or just of a, Bollywood
0: in general, right? Yeah,
1: like, um, but but like these these action pose off moments that are just so over the top that you can't believe what you're seeing. Um, so yeah, can't recommend that enough.
0: <laughs> RRR would have been top fifteen, but outside the top ten for me, I think. Okay. It, it did okay. it did take me two viewings to finish because it's it's quite long. And it Uh, it did for me too. I mean,
1: it is a lot and, and, and each hour of it, it feels like its own movie. Completely
0: different. Yeah. Completely different movie. So, you know, you, you almost, you do need to take a break in between. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it did take me a while to like orient myself about what I'm watching. Like, is this a drama, a biopic, an action pick, a fable? Like, what am I watching here? But it's all of it into one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so number one, I feel like we should announce it on three because I have a sneaking suspicion that we have the same number one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So on on three, two, one, and we'll say the name of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Three, three, two, two one. one. Top, Top Gun, Gun, Maverick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is so obvious. I think yeah. Top Gun was the most. If not one of the most enjoyable times I've ever had in those big theaters with like the the sound and yep. the big screen and yep. like the I and I ha, and I sat right in front of the D box seat so I could feel oh, the rumble yeah. a little bit yeah you got the and yeah. so that that kind of added to it this is the only movie where I like I'd be like you know what I I feel like that's worthwhile to get the D box yeah um <laughs> but it had it had just about everything. It paid homage to the original Top Gun, which I uh, which I like. I, I I consider myself a fan of it. Um, it had interesting new side supporting characters. Tom Cruise at the top of his game. If it, it felt and looked real because it was real, like there was no deceiving the eyes, and it was just really really fun. Like I I would I have never seen a movie like this that captured like almost every single demographic out there. Yeah.
1: And it um and that that definitely bore itself out in the conversations that I had you know uh, it was the thing that uh, everyone had seen um and pr- you know obviously that reflected in the box office you know it was the best performer in uh, since covid and was really only unseated by avatar and they they managed to make one of what they call like a legacy quell without it feeling too fawning of the original, too, uh, uh, too much fan service. You know, they, they wanted to make something of its own. And, and, and yeah, just deliver well on the storytelling front.
0: So. so good. So much hype and they delivered. It's like the Batman. Those two films are the top two and because there's so much hype and they delivered. And again, again, this is like why I'm like thinking about maybe my taste has changed a little bit where I'm like skewed towards blockbusters that actually are good. And some of the films that are, have lower budgets that are solid somehow don't really make it to the top anymore. Like Northman, Inisherin, Triangle Sadness, like definitely lower budget, definitely a different focus, but maybe it's because I had been itching to go back to the theaters for a while to see something spectacular. So maybe in this, if in 2022 in particular, I was looking for what uh Top Gun and the Batman could deliver.
1: Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, you know, if, if I've noticed a particular change in my taste, but I, uh, I can definitely understand that. Like, you know, it's, uh, we want to come back to the movies and, and have, you know, what Vin Diesel was often talking about. The movies. There's nothing like that moment when the lights go down. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> family?
0: That. You mean family? <laughs> Is that what he's talking about? I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, but. <laughs> Cars in space? What? <laughs> um uh, yeah i am looking forward to fast 10 if only for han but man that trailer for fast 10 uh well
1: well we'll get it well yeah we, we we're gonna get sidetracked now because fast 10 is coming up and we will we'll talk about that when it's time yes um, yes and so, you will like
0: it rob you will
1: uh, like it i don't know um <laughs> uh, but uh we're we're like as promised we're going to close this episode out by quickly hitting on our worst film of 2022 I have a feeling it may be the same one. Uh, Yeah, so let's do the
0: three, two, one again.
1: But I do have a tie actually, so I think I have a I have an an alternate that is different. Okay, but let's do the three, two, one anyway. Okay, you can. Um, Okay, so three, two, one. Jurassic Jurassic World World Dominion.
0: Dominion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So bad. I hate it so much. I will never ever watch this installment ever again. And this is coming from a guy who liked the previous one. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's Fallen Kingdom. It w- I, I enjoyed it. I, and this one felt flat on every single level. The cameos didn't make sense. The action didn't make sense. It was more about locusts and dinosaurs. No dinosaurs ate any characters. And it was the worst send-off ever. There was no homage to anything. Coming on the heels, I believe, because it
1: came out after Top Gun... But it's a, one of these legacy quells where they bring back the original cast, try to kickstart some new characters, and fell flat in every conceivable way. Was no, uh, was not a, uh, you know, gave the original actors so little to do, seemed to misunderstand their characters on a fundamental level, and tried so desperately to be newsy and you know, of the moment while also feeling like it was. Ten years out of date. So, yes, um,
0: agreed. Yeah, awful, awful film. Don't ever, don't ever want to watch it or see it ever again. What a, what a stain on what had been a terrific, terrific first movie in Jurassic Park. Agreed.
1: Uh, so my alternate, the one I would have said, uh, like, is kind of tied with Jurassic World Dominion in terms of badness, but it is at least more funny to watch. It's one of those so bad it's good. The new Roland Emmerich film, Moonfall.
0: Um, (laughs) You've been telling me to watch this and I've just like I haven't been able to bring myself because yeah, it's Aaron Eckhart, right?
1: Uh, No, it's um, Luke Wilson. Oh, is it Luke Wilson? Yeah, like dollar store.
0: Didn't Aaron Eckhart do like a a disaster movie too?
1: Uh, Was he in the core?
0: I can't remember. He was in the core. Okay.
1: Yeah. That wasn't a Roland Emmerich movie, but um, no moonfall takes everything that Roland Emmerich has been obsessed with since independence day. Does it over and over and over (laughs) again. It's like a a greatest hits type of compilation of all of the stuff that he's put into his, his recent career. Um, while also managing to cram in more stuff on top of it, you know, you've got futuristic alien civilizations from the deep past that are seeding the Earth um, alien style with like DNA and um, mechanized version of the moon that crashes to Earth and it has some sort of like nanobot cloud inside of it and um d- just some of the worst effects that I think I've seen in a movie in 2022, <laughs> like really shoddy on all fronts. But but still weirdly quotable. There's still moments in it that that will like lodge in your brain and be like, wow, I can't believe that was committed to to camera. See, you know? this
0: is why Armageddon is actually like one of my favorite movies to rewatch sometimes, because there are so many flaws, but is. Imminently quotable, and it like some parts of it are actually well shot and well executed.
1: Yeah, I can think if of I, only one shot from Jurassic World Dominion that that actually sticks with me, and it was a Jeff Goldblum moment. Um, but Moonfall has at least a handful, so. You know, it it has a slight edge in in terms of like rewatchability on that front, but it is still really bad. Like, do not get me wrong.
0: I think Jurassic World Dominion had a couple shots of dinosaurs like interacting with planes and like the real world that was kind of interesting to watch. Oh, but it was like yeah, 30 yeah. seconds of a two and a half hour movie or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to not show dinosaurs when your whole movie is about dinosaurs. Ugh, man. I, I hope they they put it on
1: ice. I hope they put that franchise on ice for at least ten or more years. And no, how about forever? But they they'll never do that. You know that. But will. like
0: there there are so many other IPs involving dinosaurs and humans that they could do. Yeah. I've, I've always wanted a Turok um, movie. Do you remember that the game? game series? Yeah, the game. I, I've I've seen it on like um, the Steam store and stuff. Yeah, not yeah. Played it. Monster Hunter. It might as well be dinosaurs. They did a movie of Mila Jovovich. Um, that would have been really cool. Carnosaur it was like a B-movie horror franchise back in the day. Where like yeah. literally the dinosaurs were the bad guys and they were eating humans left, right, and center. They could yeah. bring all those back. Just leave Jurassic Park alone. Just like let's forget about Dominion ever happened and let's move on. You know, <laughs> There's enough monster movies out there where you don't always have to go back to the same well. Yeah.
1: As Kylo Ren would say... Let
0: the past die. Kill it if you have to. Yeah, but Kylo Ren's character never made any sense either to me. Like you think about, <laughs> think about what he went through, and it's like somewhere. Don't
1: get distracted. Somewhere between quote.
0: episode was eight and nine, like something happened, or, or I don't know. <laughs> And, and then he stopped wearing the mask and I was like that's kind of cool the mask was like the best part it's kind of a dater. and he just kind of ditches it and, and somehow it becomes a good guy and I don't know because he falls in love I can't remember <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> I it's kind of weird
1: I really distracted you with that quote I, I'm sorry
0: <laughs> oh man we you and I could go on for hours about the new trilogy oh yeah
1: oh, we already have but <laughs> yeah it's
0: true. In, true infinite
1: infinite material um, Infinite material. Uh, but that about does it for this particular episode. Coming up next episode, we will be reflecting on the Oscars because uh, it will have come and gone, and I'm sure there will be hopefully at least some cringy comedy to talk about, maybe some interesting award nominees, some surprises, um, and we'll obviously be catching up on other movies that we've watched since then. Uh, there's uh, there's some good stuff in the pipeline. We've got like Creed 3 and... Um, certain things coming up in march that uh uh, that will be uh worth a worth a little chat so we'll be getting into that um but until then
0: my name is robert snow in toronto and my name is jason chen in vancouver thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time the extra buttery podcast is written recorded and produced by jason chen and robert snow Thank you for listening, and don't forget to rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. And remember, popcorn is always better with extra butter.